Hello there. I have a very special episode of the Music is Wind podcast for you guys today. Maybe the most special one yet. We're talking to Misha Mansour, the guitar player in Periphery, founder of Horizon Devices, and an overall awesome guy. I'm also going to tell you about the sponsor of today's show, Audioblocks, one of the world's largest royalty-free music libraries full of hundreds of thousands of sound effects, loops, clips, and anything else you need to make your personal or commercial projects that much better with some high-quality audio. Just go to audioblocks.com slash musiciswin to sign out for an awesome deal on an annual subscription to Audioblocks. That's Audioblocks. A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash musiciswin. So, I alluded this may be the most special episode of the Music Is Win podcast yet. The reason I say that is because there is so much valuable information contained in this conversation with Misha. He goes over all the things that he's learned being a professional musician in a big time band, as well as tips on how you can build a career as a musician and maybe some things that you don't know to look out for unless somebody like Misha tells you to. Misha is an incredibly talented guitar player, but also a very savvy business person, which is what you gotta be to make it in any industry in 2018 and beyond. So, with that said, let's jump right into the conversation with Misha. We're gonna talk about guitar playing and how to get out of ruts when you're stuck, and of course, all those things that you didn't know you needed to know about the music business. Misha Mansoor, thanks for hanging with me, man, coming on this podcast. I think I first saw you I don't think you've ever seen me in person, but I've seen you. I'm oh, weird. that's definitely but, creepy. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I saw you at Nam uh, a couple of years ago, and there was this big line wrapping around for people to come get your autograph. Oh, right on. Yeah, it was probably like a Jackson signing or something like that. Yeah, I think it was it. It was you and some a bunch of different guys. Yeah, right? they usually they'll usually like have a three or four guys there, and they'll they'll have you do a signing. Okay, that makes sense. Did you actually go through the line? I didn't go through the line. I yeah, waited. We haven't met yet. We haven't. This is the no. first time we've met. It's nice to meet this you, buddy. Is, yeah, nice to meet you too. It's crazy. I uh, I just sent you a, a message because I saw you had been discussing some things about your band Periphery and what it's like to be a businessman uh, undercover as a musician. I like that. I like the way you phrased that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> well, that's kind of how I feel about it because, you know, I, I do YouTube and stuff, but I also do education and it's like, we have to wear so many hats and, and I've seen, I actually have seen your stuff. Uh, the, the music is when stuff on, uh, on Facebook and, uh, YouTube and all that stuff. My fat head is just plastered on the internet. So that's the nature of the beast these these days, isn't it? Like that's kind of part of what you're signing up for. I know. Can you tell me where the origin of bulb came from? Oh, that's a that's a funny story. It's very sort of happenstance. So that's your nickname for for people who don't know. And I, there's a point to this why I asked that question, but I was just well, gonna... well, just to to keep it kind of short. I was only in ever in one real band. It was uh, I was going to school in Toronto, University of Toronto. Uh, and, and I wasn't doing well in school, but I had a band there and I formed it with my best friend at the time. And that was just the name that we came up with. But I think I took that a bit more seriously. So like I set up like, uh, back then I think everyone was using sound click or so I thought, so I set up a sound click page for bulb and I was uploading yep. songs to it all the time. That band then sort of broke up, but then I had like, 
this repository of all the stuff I'd done. And I just kind of kept on posting it to that. And I'd post up on forums. And I'd always, not always, but oftentimes I'd like sign up for forums as Bulb just thinking it's the band name, right? Just to mm -hmm. be representative of that, I guess. Um, but then people just started to associate it with me. And at first, um, I tried to correct everybody. But I think you you know probably as well as I do that once the internet decides something, there's not really yeah much you can it do. Is, it, it is written in stone. It basically <laughs> is. So eventually I just stopped resisting because I thought it was kind of a dumb nickname to have. And I didn't want it. And I used to have this really long explanation as to how it wasn't my nickname. But yeah. then the path of least resistance was just to not fight it and accept it. So the reason I asked that is because I noticed you're wearing your uh, your company Horizon devices. I actually have one of those right oh, here. Look at that! Look at that! And um, and I got the letter that you you put. It, it came with the pedal. Uh, it was like a handwritten note. Yeah. Uh, and it was signed bulb. So I was always always like, wait, I thought Misha was his name. But then I looked it up and I was like, oh, okay, I get it, I get it. And then it's I sign everything as bulb, and this is just like no, it was a cool thing. I've I've I own a lot of pedals, and uh, I've never gotten one with a note like that. So I think that was a cool thing that you did. I'm glad that you think so, because that's something that we like kind of talked about doing, and I was I was like, huh, I wonder how people react to it. So, but it's been positive. It's I, you're probably one of the first people I've talked to who's like been positive about that and elaborated yeah. like that. So I'm glad. I know you're a big gearhead, so. Uh, I also want to kind of keep it to layman's terms as far as the, the discussion for myself, because I'm a gearhead, but I also like kind of, I don't know. I feel like you, you get really in the weeds on stuff when you're asked about this stuff. So I figure why not try and ask you to explain it? Like I'm five and, uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> in the sense of a guitar player. So can you explain? So this is essentially, a magical pedal is <laughs> yeah, kind of the way a, I look at it. It's a magic box. I, when I use it, it's like a, uh, it's kind of just a clarity box for me. So I'll, I'll have some muddiness and then I'll put this on. I won't necessarily use it as extra gain. It's more of a, just to clean up some of my guitar tone, especially since I just recently got a seven string guitar and uh, it's been really useful for that lower uh, range stuff. So as far as your 30-second synopsis on this is the precision drive, uh, what would you say are like the key differentiators? Well, I'd say that a lot of people don't realize that the guitar tone that they listen to and that they assume is just a guitar into an amp, oftentimes, mm -hmm. especially if it's tuned lower, has some sort of what we would call in the industry a boost of some kinds. But really what it's doing is it's tightening it up. As you go lower and lower, you're using thicker and thicker strings, right? And you're sort of centering around uh, lower frequencies. And these amps are just not designed to, to handle those. So it gets really woofy, right? right and what this right. pedal does is basically counteracts that. So it's actually like cutting the lows. And like one of the things that we did is that attack knob sort of adjusts how much you're cutting out. And that could depend on the amp, how well it takes those low frequencies on your guitar, whether you're using your six or your seven string, what tuning you're in, even what kind of riffs you're playing. So that that attack knob is kind of the, the little secret of that pedal where it allows you to tune it to your rig and, and your specific song that you're recording. And the way that you said you weren't really using it much for gain, just for tightness, well, that's pretty much what people were doing, but they were sort of using pedals that weren't really designed to be used in that context with amps that weren't really designed to be getting those frequencies. And it was like, I, I just wanted to make a pedal where it was like, this is the focus.
This is like why we're designing this pedal is for this main purpose. And it was really just because I was looking for a pedal that did that and I couldn't find one. Uh, Because I had a problem where I was using a lot of, you know, people generally use like a tube screamer or something like that. And I had a whole bunch of different uh, boost pedals. And I find I'd constantly be switching them out depending on the rig or whatever. I'm like, I I just wish I I could like adjust a few things. It's a really versatile uh, pedal because I I especially like, you know, basically the, the attack is a knob that is actually a switch. It's a switch knob. It makes it easy to set to a certain setting and you'll know like, oh yeah, like I like this position for this rig, you know? Exactly, exactly. So I found that was really useful. And then the gate uh, is a pretty blue color that happens when it's gating. It's and my favorite that color, man. pleases me. That pleases <laughs> me aesthetically. So uh, great job on Thanks, this. Thanks, man. Thank and, you. And um, I definitely, I use it a lot for, for rock stuff and I'm not as quite, I'm not quite like prog metal as you are. Um, but for, you know, even just a rock sound, I think it's really useful when you're creating music and you're recording music, you tend to rely a lot on post-production. And I feel like this pedal is helpful to get like the feel of the sound that you're ending up with or that you ideally want to end up with. I I appreciate it. And, and speaking of post-production, you know, that's not something that can easily be done on the post end. The only way that you could do it would be to reamp and then put it right. in the front end. But this is something that has to hit the amp on the front end. So before before it's actually like being captured into your system. So if you don't if you already like captured your guitars and you don't have it on it, you either have to re-record or reamp it if you have the DIs. So that's that's why it's kind of a re-recording is not fun. No. What's what's your what's your recording horror story? Do you have one? I, I actually I actually have one. This is why like I compulsively save <laughs> and not yeah. just save, but save as like uh, I use Cubase and it has this very convenient feature where if you do like command shift save, it'll just auto save it as a sequential number. So it'll be like, you know, dash two, dash three, dash four every time you do it. Um, this is a long time ago. Uh, OG bulb fans might remember this, but uh, with our very first singer, we did this uh, all I want for you uh, all I want for Christmas is you cover which is just absurd and it was just really absurd but but we did a lot of work on it and I was really proud of how it came out and then my computer crashed and oh, um and I'd just been saving it as like the same file name and I just had the one file name and when I started it up again the file was corrupted and I couldn't oh. open the project and we were about like 95% done on it. I was like doing like a final mixing tweaks on it. Like it was all recorded and everything. How much time, like a, a day or something dude, it straight. took, it took a day and I was in the audio bin, like trying to find the takes I used, trying to place them. Uh, obviously nothing's to the grid. Cause you start like kind of recording wherever it was mm-hmm. just the most, but it was like, I figured that would be less work than trying to remember what we did. There was no record of what I'd done. Cause I hadn't exported anything yet. And it was just the worst feeling ever. So ever since then, I compulsively save and save as. Yeah, I always like to leave uh, listeners and viewers of this podcast with some actionable items. So that is uh, one to take to the bank, save as. Save as. No, that is like one of the biggest. If you're starting to record, just learn, just learn to do it like obsessively. Because at the worst, you'll end up with a bunch of files. And at the best, you'll end up with with basically backups oh and also backup everything like have a backup drive of your computer that you back up every night i have two backups that just the same thing is on both of them so that's uh yep it's necessary 
And that also that kind of leads me into the the way you create, uh, because I feel like I, I don't really have a sense for the type of musician you are. I mean, I know what kind of music you make and what kind of bands you play in, I mean, pr- chiefly periphery, but I would ask you to describe like, do you have a go-to creative process when it comes to writing music or is it just, oh, I have this pedal that I just hit a chord and now I'm going to write a song or are you methodical? How, how do you, what's your game plan when you sit down to write, if you even do that? I would say it, it varies. Um, mm-hmm. It varies because I like to write with people. So for one, like, for example, the guys are coming to record the album. Um, and uh, like, they're, we're, we're going to start working, writing for this new album, like as of tomorrow, basically. Oh, new periphery album. New periphery album. Yeah. And like that is Sick. like it. I like working with them so much that like I kind of don't like writing alone <laughs> anymore. If oh, that makes cool. sense. Um, yeah. We just have really good chemistry. Um, and I feel like if ever I'm in a rut, they'll usually have an idea. Like it's just and there's just ideas flowing around. It's just a great feeling. Um, I'll write by myself, too, and I'll always be like preparing stuff. But I've just felt less, I guess, confident about that. So I like to collaborate and I feel like it's a good way to learn. Mm-hmm. But I've also learned that like you can't force it. Like there's times where I've been really bummed out. Like I've just felt like I'm in a dry spell. I'm out of riffs. I've got nothing right. And like in those cases, yeah. in those cases, like I just feel like uh, you just have to wait it out. Sometimes like there's a bunch of I have a bunch of little tricks which I tell yeah, people. What are some of your tricks to get to get out of? They a only rut? work half the time though. But it's like do something else like. Play, play video games, like do not music. Do something that's completely different from music that gets you out of that headspace. I think sometimes it's a bit like just, you know, a cup that needs to be refilled and just you just life experience goes into it and refills it. So then you, you empty it, you got nothing left. And if you just force at it, like anytime I've ever been like, I haven't written anything in a while, I should force it. It's been, it's been bad. So I'd say like, trying to take some some space away from it maybe respecting it a bit for what it is it's just like it happens it's not the end of the world and i'm i feel like i'm convincing myself right now because i always feel like it is the end of the world and i've I've written the last riff i'm ever gonna write and then the other thing is is collaborating with people like um something actually here's another thing I've, i've done uh which is really sometimes worked for me is like covering a song um oh cool yeah like like it just it makes your brain work in a completely different way. Um, I used to cover a lot of Mashuga songs because they're one of my favorite bands. And it would just like, it would be like just kind of like a, it's like a puzzle or something. You're just trying to figure it out, right? I'm using my ears, just trying to use as much of my own tools to try to figure it out. Um, I think one of the last things I covered was I did this like orchestral rendition of like a Final Fantasy VII song. It was really time consuming and it was really challenging for my ear. Uh, but it was super satisfying and it was just so different from writing music. It's just using a completely different part of your brain. And I feel like that actually uh, helped inspire me to write after the fact, if that makes sense. Would you say that you are inherently a rhythm guitar player or a lead guitar player or just a guitar player? Do you define it? I would say none of those, man. Like, I think I'm more of like a composer. Okay. I think when I first started out, like... I wanted to be like the best guitarist, you know, like this is my yeah. first time. I was like, yeah, hey, I'm going to just get my chops up and become the best guitarist. And then like, 
you know, you slowly, and at that point in time, that was John Petrucci, you know, that was the guy. And it was like, and then you slowly learn that's not going to happen. And then like, (laughs) and then it's like, I just want to like focus on having fun. Right. And now guitar is like kind of this thing. I've like, I feel like I've plateaued with like, I always work on my chops a bit, but I'm not a technician. And there's a lot of people who've been playing for way less time than I am who are way more talented. I see it more as a means to an end. It's like, you know, I've got ideas in my head and it's a very quick way to get those ideas to come out. Um, And with the power of computers and maybe and all that stuff, you can straight up compose stuff. So I just see it as another tool to get sounds with. But I don't consider myself a good guitarist or anything like that. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Like, I've kind of given up on that. Like, it's really just something that, one, I enjoy, and two, that helps me write. Yeah. Well, I think you're a good guitarist. Thanks, but... man. I'm stubborn, so it doesn't matter what people say. Like, I won't I won't agree with you, but you know, I, mean, I appreciate it. I mean, I get it. a lot of questions about plateaus and, and busting ruts and stuff like that, and I feel like every guitar player and maybe every musician goes through a similar arc where you start with undeniable fiery passion like you said you want to be the best guitar player you hear your aha you have your aha moment where it's like this is what i'm supposed to do and then you climb and climb and climb and then you hit your first big plateau and then you maybe that same arc happens over and over again until you get to a point like the one you just described where it's kind of your pinnacle of perhaps technicality but that's where a new kind of journey begins well it just becomes about different things at different you know you kind of you, yeah. you recontextualize what you're doing as you develop because i learned like first of all what does it even mean to be the best guitarist like who is the yeah. best guitar that's not a thing it's just a very sort sort of like lofty ideal that you could just throw out there and it sticks at the wall when you're when you're just starting out and then like when when you learn that's not a thing and it, you have to start like define that a bit more. And then I realized I'm not even a technician, you know, like, like I don't like practicing technique. I don't like, that's not what I enjoy. I enjoy writing. And then I realized like, no, what I am is more of a composer. Like I just, I, you know, I don't care what tricks are used or whatever that go into creating a song. I just enjoy the process of making that song. I see. So are you going to be scoring any films? Yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. I'd love to. I mean, like, that's, you know, that's one of those things I'd love to uh, do someday, but it's a very tough industry to break into. So it's not something that I um, have any expectations or any entitlement about, you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd actually, I think I'd love to do video games. And I've I've had the opportunity to, to do a couple little things here and there that just sort of fell into my lap. But just one of those things i hope i would chip away at and that eventually would materialize but it's tough man breaking breaking into any one of these creative industries is tough and and i know from experience so what would you say currently now that you've had the experience of being in an awesome band and you still are but your priorities are also in other places what would you say the thing is that makes you wake up in the morning it's like the first thing you think about sometimes it's the companies sometimes you know especially when the companies are working you know because the main the main two companies are horizon devices which does the pedal and we're working on new products and then i also have get good drums which i'm a co-owner of uh, which is the drum software company and we're coming out with new products too so like depending on where we are in the product cycle and what we're developing like i might be like 100 percent focused on that It's just like all these things that I do are, and maybe you can relate to this. It's like things that you do are, uh, you work on them very intensely, but for a short period of time or for a limited period of time. 
And I imagine you're at the point where you make your own schedule. So you could make your schedule to have like probably very little in it if you were so inclined. Um, yeah. But if I do that for too long, I go crazy. Like I just get restless and I just I just feel like crap. Like I just feel like a useless human being and, and I don't want to do that. So I always try to find things to fill my time with. Um, and uh, and if that means starting a new company or something like that. Now I think I've got a pretty good, you know, a pretty, pretty good set of things. Just because like sometimes all these things sort of hit at once and then I'm like overwhelmed. But generally, generally speaking, I can like manage my time to where I can sort of focus on all these things uh, one at a time. And then that in that moment is w what I'll be waking up being excited about. Hey guys, quick break to talk about the sponsor of our show, Audioblocks. With over 100,000 studio clips, loops, sound effects, and more, all royalty-free at your disposal for your personal or commercial projects. I use Audioblocks all the time in this podcast, in my YouTube videos, and any other creative endeavor that I need awesome audio to accompany. To get a great deal on an annual subscription to Audioblocks, just head over to audioblocks.com slash musiciswin. That's Audioblocks, A-U-D-I-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com slash win. And now, back to the conversation with the awesome Misha Mansoor. There might no, be there might be it. parts that are that are a bit dodgier than others. Uh, if anyone is watching and wondering why I have headphones now, it's because I'm dumb. Uh, have, I was dumb have, before. I'm a little bit smarter now, uh, but but I'm still well, overall dumb. Well, that's an interesting thing to talk about because I that type of thing that sort of rote editing where you have to do some sort of meticulous task over and over and you can get in a zone, which I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with. Uh, that reminds me of the first video I saw of yours on YouTube where I think it was like how to record guitar right. uh, and you were, you were creating these drum sample or drum tracks and then you were uh, adjusting your audio interface to the certain level where it's not quite clipping and it's in that sweet spot as YouTube, perhaps something that you are going to focus on at some point, you know, more as another hat or no, how, you know, how do you the, approach the, that social media? The YouTube thing is something that I do very casually and just for fun when I feel like it. Um, I feel like like professional YouTubers, that's what they do. And it's it's something I think a lot of people sort of glorify. It's like, man, it must be so cool. But like, I know I know what it's like, not from experience, but from having friends or it's like, it's work. It's just, it's it's a lot of work and it's something that you have to commit to. Because people are just like, oh, it's so cool how he has content coming all the, you know, coming out all the time. It's like, yeah, like, and probably for that five minute video, there was like three days of work at least in that, you know. So it's like you're you're constantly doing that, and you know, like people like you who actually create content, like that's like what you do, and that's how you have to, that's what you commit to. And I, I bet you, I bet sometimes you're frustrated at like people who are just like, oh, you do more videos, oh, it must be great, and it's like, dude, do you know how much work this is? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely uh you have to take kind of count your blessings for the the freedom, but really that freedom is uh you're under your own kind of government. You also have to crack the whip on yourself or else you're not going to have anything. Absolutely. And no like that's one of those things that you 
no one prepares you for. And it sounds like first world problems, I know. Like, like, yeah. oh, I have so much free time. I wish someone would make me do something. But I have like, no free time if I wanna if I wanna succeed. Right, right. Free time. Right. You have to like you have to learn how to manage your time. Uh, and it goes both ways because at least with me, like there've been times where I've been so stressed out because I was so used to saying yes to everything. Cause you know, mm-hmm. when you, when you're doing this, you're hustling, you're, you're not saying no to anything. You have to say yes to everything you get. And then before you know it, like you're overworking yourself, you're stressed out all the time. And then yeah. when you sort of cross over, then it's like, it feels almost dirty to say no. It's like, what are you a millionaire? How could you say no to this? But then you start having to make this calculation. The opportunity cost is stress. It's like, is this, is this job I'm going to do that's going to pay this amount of money that realistically won't really make that much difference in my life worth all the stress that it's going to add? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if the answer is no, then you have to learn how to say no to those things. And that's one of those things I've worked on in the in the past few years, try to manage my time yeah. better. Because you only learn because you get overworked and you, like, are, like, like, I hate my life right now, you know? Yeah, time becomes your, your new currency. Absolutely. We actually had to start doing this as a band when we would record because we'd burn out. Um, we forced ourselves to, to take a day off, like forced ourselves. Because in the beginning, you're like, man, we could just record every day. Like, ah, oh, the oh, music yeah. is great. And then by week like four or five, everybody hates each other because you haven't had a mm-hmm. break. So we take a day off and we're also pretty like if we're feeling ourselves getting burned out, we kind of own up to it. And we're like, we need to take a day off. Right. But this is the beauty of like a 40 hour work week is that you're forced to take two days off and those days are uh-huh. important whether you realize it or not and when you lose those and when you lose those because you love what you do and you're just obsessed with working it feels so counterintuitive to be like i need to take a break from this but it's literally healthy and so when you make your own schedule you have to you have to budget that time in or you will you will drive yourself crazy i think that's important for people who do want to c- pursue a career in music because 99 times out of 100 if you're a musician you are doing just what we're talking about is working for yourself and making your own uh, commitments to maybe sometimes too much stuff in the beginning phases and some experiences you have to have in order to learn you know it's hard to take somebody's word for it what would you say a few characteristics are of somebody who wants to be in the music business it's just overarching musician that's a that's a, that's a good way that's a good way of phrasing that if you want to be in the music business, I, so I, 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 I try not to give the answers that people want to hear. I try to give the honest answers. No, no, give the real answers. <laughs> I hate to say this. I really hate to say this, but most people, not all, but most people who find themselves in some form of the industry don't take advice from people like me. They aren't reading like self-help books. They aren't, they, they have those skills innately. Like, like people will view me as a businessman, but I never became a businessman. This is just how I viewed the opportunities, right? Sure. And I'm not saying that people can't learn these things and hone them and then maybe turn them into opportunities. And I'm not saying people shouldn't try. Um, I think you just have a bit more of an uphill battle when it's not something that you innately possess. And that's not necessarily what people want to hear but Mm. it's true if you're asking for a pattern that i've noticed in people that are successful in their industries is that for lack of a better term they're kind of go-getters they're not waiting around for a solution to you know or some 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 podcast that they hear where they're like 
oh, that dude said something and that, you know, that resonated with me. And again, I want to be very clear that it's very possible that that could be the catalyst. That could be the right combination of words. And obviously there was something that launched me in that direction. But there's also like a sense of people who are proactive versus people who are reactive. And the people yeah. who are reactive will oftentimes find themselves running into problems and having to learn from mistakes that the proactive people were able to circumvent before they ever even happened because they sort of had a good sense. And unfortunately, we're not all created equal. Some people have a better sense of that stuff than others, and that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in some ways, you know, I was lucky because I had a set of skills that worked to my advantage. But I'd say the other half of it is that I actually... Uh, recognized where those skills were and then tried to hone those and focus on that. And those things were all different from what I thought that I was going to be doing originally. You have to be ready to pivot. The original plan, and you'll find this a lot with people who sort of are entrepreneurial, is like they'll have, they'll have very set in stone plans and people like that tend to be very single-minded and stubborn. Trust me, I know I'm, I'm the same way and I bet you are to some degree as well. And it's what makes you focus on the thing that you want and it's what allows you to sort of dedicate everything and like push everything aside so that's sure. that's good but i think the other skill is the fact that to recognize once it stops working or once it starts working in a different direction how you could capitalize on that and if this is very abstract i'll give you a really concrete example um okay. so there's certain bands out there that sell a lot of merch right uh, generally seen bands, you know, that's just got a good demographic for moving merch. So they're bands that are like a fair bit smaller than us that draw less kids that will destroy us in merch. And then from a practical perspective, we'll actually take home more from a tour than we would because we just don't move that much merch. And we've optimized, you know, we've really tried to sell as much merch as possible because that's how bands make money. Now, with mm -hmm. that said, um, what we did realize is that we had this knack for getting people interested in gear. You know, and that's something that I recognize as well. So I forged relationships with companies that led to signature products that led to me starting my own products. So as much as we were never the 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 merch kind of band, we were the gear nerd kind of band. And it's like, all right, well then how do we monetize this? And that's where it shifted. Because mm -hmm. as I grew up, it was always like, Oh, well, you have to sell merch, merch, merch. And we still do that, but we just can't operate as efficiently as a band that really can move that stuff. And if you're to look at this as a bottom line figure, I'm actually more grateful for it in hindsight because generally speaking, there isn't much overlap. If you tend to be more of a scene band, you know, those those kids will buy shirts, but they don't tend to care a much of uh, be as much of gear nerds, um, right. generally speaking. Um, and you sell that merch and then your manager takes a cut, you know, your uh, business manager takes a cut uh, and they get split through the band. Right. Um, yep. And that's that's just the profits, obviously, after the costs. Right, um, right. but like with signature deals, that's something that's negotiated with a company. So that's money that comes directly to me with my company. That's something that's, that goes through my company that has nothing to do with the band. So it's sort of finding ways to, to, to monetize the areas that you do have influence over. Right. Um, and so recognizing those things and being ready to pivot, not being too stubborn to where you're like, well, I decided that we were going to follow this path. And seeing like try to analyze like where where do you see these opportunities coming from like sort of listen to where where opportunity actually is knocking and then follow those threads you know well well that's interesting to kind of analyze your demographic so to speak and 
Periphery, I think, is obviously a, a really technically proficient band with a lot of prowess. It made sense to go that gear route and maybe the actionable piece for somebody who's trying to figure out, well, am I going to be a teacher? Am I going to be a, in a band? If I'm in a band, how do I you know, go from just playing shows and netting $50 a week to creating multiple income streams? And it's really looking at who the people are surrounding you who are enjoying what you do. And I think that's a really interesting philosophy that isn't ver- talked about, especially in among musicians, because I think this is a really, you know, business centric conversation right now. That yeah. I think a lot of people don't necessarily consider when it's like, how do I ha- make a career as a musician? Usually it comes back to the skills, developing your skills as a musician at, on the instrument itself. But all this underlying stuff is the fur- the sooner you get a grasp on it, then the sooner you can return to the music with new invigoration it's like i'm not spending my time becoming guthrie govin or john petrucci because they already did that i'm spending my time figuring out how the people who listen to me and who watch what i do and like what i do how i can provide more value for them so that when that's done you can go back to the guitar and have this new sense of invigoration towards it if you're talking about an actionable piece i'm gonna i'm gonna tell you and your viewers something Okay. This is this is this is actually very uh, this is this is very actionable. Do you want to you know because I got people I do clinics and I always get people asking like you know so what's the best way to get on tour? What's the best way to get your band out there? I'm right. gonna give you a bit of a roundabout way, but this actually works. This actually like works really really well if you follow my advice. It's just not what people want to hear. All right, let's see what it's gonna be. To get on the road, the the big problem is that like if you start your, with your band. You're going to be losing money. You're going to be straight up operating at a loss because it's very yeah. expensive. And to do the fun job, which is play on stage with people, like you're just, you know, you, you get the you get whatever's left over, which is usually money in the red. <laughs> so you get debt. Um, right. However, even bands that start out need people that sell merch, right? And the thing mm-hmm. about touring is that it's a very tight circle. So my advice, and this. As, I'll give you an example after this of s- someone it's actually worked for, but okay. start out, just go and do merch for a band for free, for free. So you go out and you do it for free and have a tip jar there and be amazing at it. Like really, really work hard, be the best merch guy, be attentive, try to get the best merch numbers that you can and be, be personable, be like, make friends with everybody that you want to network. That's your chance to network. You're going to be with bands on tour. Okay, Mm -hmm. and then if you do a good job, other bands are going to notice that. And the tour industry is all about vetting people. It's there's no diploma. No, if someone came to us like I got a degree from Berkeley, we'd be like, I don't care. Like, but we've literally hired most of the guys that we've hired because, you know, we're like, oh, we need this person. Oh, I know this guy. Are they cool? Yeah. Uh, Can they hang on tour? Yeah. All right. We'll try them out. That's like literally the conversation that gets people hired. So now, okay. if you've been cool and you've done a good job on tour, people will be like, oh, yeah, he's really sick. We, I remember touring with him. He's a great merch guy, great dude. And then you can start charging for that, right? Then you do that enough of that, and then you could be like, hey, you know what? Actually, maybe I, I'm going to tell you, like, the best merch guys always are just overqualified, so they can usually move, and they usually move to other things, whether it's front of house or uh, lighting director or tour manager or whatever, right? 
uh, or guitar tech or whatever, right? And sure. let's say you're a guitarist. Go be a guitar tech. Go be the best guitar tech. You are going to meet so many guitarists. You you may work your way up the industry to where you're working with some really big bands. And then people just want to get along. So you're going to be hanging out. And if you're making a good impression on people, you will be surprised. Like, And if people know that you're, if you're actually a good guitarist and people know your style and whatever, they're going to check it out because they're going to be friends with you at this point, right? Sure. And then if they need like a, a fill-in for a gig or they, they're like, oh, you got a sick band. Well, maybe you're the band that we should take out on tour. So I know like those instances where that's happening. Yeah, you take the guitar text band out on tour because like, oh, his band's actually really sick. We totally and we totally need an opening band. Oh, this guitarist can't do this tour. Well, I know this dude, that guy, that guitar tech over there is 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 sick. He could do it. Um, that's literally the story of how our tour manager became our tour manager, by the way. And he's also awesome. played guitar with Senses Fail. And like he's like, and he's gotten to fill in with with other bands. Like that dude, and he works hard. He's one of the hardest working dudes I've ever met. He's one of the nicest guys. He'll be your best friend in three minutes. He's got the best personality He's, and he never complains. And, and, and I love him to death. Matt Rosenblum, Rosie, like he's, he's the example of how you do these things right. In my opinion, which is you just go for it. You're not making excuses. Well, we're having trouble. We don't want to do these pay to play gigs. So we'll just sit around and do nothing. It's like, get out on the road. That dude's at least out on the road. Even if he's selling on the mer uh, selling merch, he knows what the road is like before he's even in, in, in a band that's touring that much, you know? There's suffering that must happen, but leaning on the passion and the drive to go get it, like you said, being a go-getter, I think it's such an easy thing to say and the hardest thing to do, and that's why not many people do it. Absolutely. But it's, it's still very simple. Like, if you want to become a doctor... There's seven years of stuff you got to do. If you want to become this thing, you know, uh, insert musical profession here, it's probably still seven years, but it's a lot simpler and you're not going to kill anyone in the process. <laughs> Hopefully. I, I think. Hopefully. <laughs> no, but you raise a good point. It's very, it's very simple. It's very simple. And it's like people want the solution to be complicated because they want the secret to be something like, well, actually, you have to know this guy who knows this guy. Then, then you get to this. It's like, no, it's actually really simple, but it's but it's tough and nobody wants to do it that way. And that's why very few people will do it that way. And the few that do usually do well. Also, it takes a certain personality type. You might have the wrong personality type. You might go on your first tour and be like, I hate touring. And the only way you find out is by going and touring. So, mm -hmm. you know, that that might right there that might kill it for you you know and and that that could be a good thing though oh if absolutely you, like you go out and find out what you don't want to do yeah and then it's like well maybe you want to be a session guy and a lot of those uh tips that you outlined are the exact same steps to become a session player right is word of mouth maybe you go to everybody's show and you are just that guy who like is bringing five or ten friends to a show and is like the biggest super fan. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm I'm a ripping guitar player. Uh, and then everybody's friends with you. Really, just the the being cool, I think, is a is an underlying theme. I'll like tell cool, I'll tell you another secret. I'll tell you another yeah. secret. If we're talking about actionable items here, and it's networking. I think every I think not everyone. I think a lot of people think about networking all wrong. Um, okay. And they don't. How do you think about it? Okay. So a lot of people think of networking as like, okay, I'm going to be friends with this guy who's up on this level. I'm on this level. We're friends. And then opportunities will trickle down like that. And again, I'm not saying yeah. that doesn't happen. I'm just saying that it's rare and it's not something you can count on any more than you could 
buying a lottery ticket and then winning the lottery. So that's not a good way to set a plan. What networking okay. is and has been in my experience is you're just genuinely friends with people at your level. You're doing your thing. They're doing their thing. You're doing their thing and they're going up and up and up. And then eventually they know what you do and they're like, Hey, I have an opportunity from you, but now they're off in their own industry and they're also up here. So now they're able to send stuff your way. It's a lateral thing. It's not this up down thing. Why would, um, you know, networking is not about charity. It's not people like, oh yeah, well we've made it far. Therefore we want to give back and just give opportunities to, to random people that we don't know. No, it's, it's about like opportunities that have genuinely generated from friendships or connections or whatever. And it's like, oh no, they're cool. So I'm going to call, call upon them from that. And that is one of the biggest mistakes I think think uh, people think about networking and what it means. And no one really teaches you how to do it. And to some degree, you can't really be taught. You have to kind of just have a sense of how to talk people and be likable. And an interesting point about that is if you are kind of newer to whatever industry you're trying to break into, you don't want to meet the top dog right away because then you won't have anything to offer and you could have just squandered, you know, might have looked stupid or, or done something to be like, all right, I, I'm writing that off. Like you want to be confident and be able to speak to somebody or, or, or deliver. If it's music, if we're talking music, you want to be able to sit down and deliver what it is that you're trying to do uh, in a way that will convince that person, oh, there's mutual benefits to, exactly. to happen here. So yeah, that's a, that's a good point on networking. It's just say, uh, it's something that is natural to some people, but the people who it is not natural for will overthink it. And really, it's just a matter of acting like a like a cool person in, in real life and not trying to claw your way like right. some sort of I'm, I'm just envisioning like some sort of Los Angeles stereotype of a coffee getter. Who's well, like, you're not wrong. Oh, I just ended up in Steven Spielberg's office. How did that happen? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you're 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 right. And the thing that people also tend to forget is that these things move in cycles. So, yeah, you're not up here, but as time goes on, you know, those guys are going to kind of fade off and retire or whatever, and there's going to be new people. Ideally, you want to mm -hmm. be growing with those new people, but I think the way people look at it is like networking is a fast track to success. And I think right. that's where it gets dangerous because there's no there's no fast track. Again, yes, there are for some people. I'm sure people could name examples, but those are the outliers. Those are not those are the exceptions to the rule. And really, right. you just have to do it slow and steady. If you want a surefire way to do it, it's slow and steady. And that is surefire. It's just maybe a bit more boring an answer than saying here's the secret to jump to the top level. You know, and if there is a secret, I don't know what it is. Yes, please email uh Tyler at musicaswin.com <laughs> with if the secret. You have the secret. The secret. It's that pedal. You press your... the button on that pedal, and that's it's actually a, it's, that's the secret. That's that hey, is the secret right there. <laughs> this is as close to the secret as you're gonna get. Yeah. Have good guitar tone. Um, I, I have. Uh, I want to wrap up. I have some rapid fire questions. Right. Don't have to be rapid fire answers, but uh, just whatever comes to your head. Where does tone come from? The hands. Excellent. Excellent <laughs> response. Yeah, I think uh, I think hands, I think it has to start in the hands and then you can start to manipulate. Uh, yeah, that's like the that's like the last few percent, you know, but mm -hmm. like, I mean, like, have you like good guitarists? 
I've heard them play through the most garbage rigs and guitars, and they still sound amazing. Why is yeah. that? Because it's all in the hands. It's almost like uh, when you hear them through those rigs, it just makes you, it, it's almost more enjoyable. Because it's like, <laughs> you appreciate only the skill, and there's nothing else, no sonic yeah. excellence yeah, no, to you're right. cover it up. You're right, you're it's right. It's like, a, it's a different aesthetic. I remember this dude, like, made me want to buy this microcube practice amp, which is a good practice amp, but he was just a really sick guitarist, and I was like, damn, that amp sounds good. It's like, no, that dude sounds good. That's all it you is. You get home, you're like, what happened? Uh, yeah. I have the same <laughs> thing I happened. I bought, I bought, <laughs> I remember I bought a Dunlop 535Q walk, because, like, I saw Petrucci play this, like, smaller, smaller gig, do this, mm -hmm. like, kind of impromptu solo with the wah. I was like, damn, that wah sounds amazing. And it's like, no, he makes the wah sound amazing. You know, I guess so hands and, and feet in this in this sense. Hands but like feet. he made it sound he made it sound amazing. I got it home and I used it for about ten minutes. And I was like, this thing sucks. You know? Oh. It's it's not that it sucks, it's a great wah. It's just I suck at the wah. I'm not very gotcha. good at it. So you know, like it yes, I firmly believe like you know the gear and all that is is one because I can and two because I'm a nerd about this stuff and it's like I have figured out sort of I have my sound and this is refining that last like like twenty percent of of the tone you know uh, and gotcha. having options and I just like gear but real really I have way too much stuff I know that yeah well <laughs> it's a disease it is that I it don't is. want a cure for. No, I, I don't uh, either. Hey, and I tell people, you know, it's better than uh, it's better than like a drug, uh, you know, like uh, being addicted to drugs. Way better yeah. resale uh, than being addicted to drugs. So exactly. <laughs> I'm going to remember that one. Uh, if you could put up a billboard that every guitar player had to drive past every day, what would you want the billboard to say? Have fun. Yeah. I don't have a criticism. I, like I think it's great if people are playing guitar. I just hope that people have fun with it. In three words or less, how do I play guitar? Go for it. Yeah. You literally just have to go for it, man. I never took lessons. I just picked up a guitar and I was like, this is fun. You know? Have fun and go for it. <laughs> Those are my my words of advice. It's really now the I only reason. I just feel all warm inside. You should. It's the only reason to do that stuff, anyways. Like, like, like I've been catching flack for the the last week. Like, you know, there isn't very much money to go around in this industry, so you're probably not going to make a living just being a guitarist. As you said, you're going to have to wear a lot of hats. And yeah. and honestly, all the bands that I know of that are successful to any degree are so because they treat their band like a small business. So you have to be a businessman to some degree. And if you're not, you're going to have trouble uh, with, with finances. And if you're, and all the bands, you know, the stuff I was talking about that that's all bands. People, I think people single it out as like, Oh, periphery don't make that much money. Uh, it's like, yeah, but it's not, it's not just as all our peers. It's not about us. It's, this is the state of the industry. And again, mm -hmm. it's not to bum people out, but it's just to let people know this is what you're getting into. Don't have any delusions about what you're getting into and I hope that like people will take the effort to diversify their income whether that means doing Skype lessons lessons on the road whatever skill whatever skills you you have that you can take advantage that you can monetize use those and start them early because don't count on the band to support you entirely then guitar should just be fun music should just be fun just have fun with it and enjoy it just go for it Misha Mansoor thanks for hanging dude thanks for having me man